Welcome, everyone, listeners. Salome Asega, we have today, is an artist and researcher based in Brooklyn, New York. Salome has participated in residencies and fellowships with iBeam, New Museum, The Laundromat Project, and Recess. She has exhibited at the Shanghai Bien Biennial, MoMA, Carnegie Library, August Wilson Center, Knockdown Center, and more. She has also given presentation, presentations and lectures at Performa, IEO, did I say that right? IO. IO, mm -hmm. uh, Brooklyn Museum, MIT Media Lab, NYU, and more. Salome is currently a Ford Foundation Technology Fellow, Landscaping, New Media Artists, and Organization Networks. She's also the Director of Partnerships at PowerPlant, a youth digital art collaborative in Brooklyn. Salome received her MFA from Parsons at the New School in Design and Technology, where she also teaches classes on speculative design and participatory design methodologies. And that's the very proper artist biography that Salome uh, shared with us. But I also want to add that I've known Salome now for 12 years, which is crazy. Um, and in that time, I've, I've been her friend and collaborator, fellow student, um, Brooklyn bar closer, and I've, I've even been a guest on her radio show. Though you gave us a great artist bio, Salome, very extensive, I think the human bio biography of you, uh, we should also set the stage with, which is just, in my perspective, just one of such generosity, lightheartedness, um, and in your work and personhood, your just moral and political grounding that I think carries uh, into all the different realms of your, your person and practice. So I'm very excited um, to have you in our first inaugural season of our podcast that is yet to be named. So welcome, Salome. And Thank you so much, Andy and Beryl. I'm so excited to be here. Um, We're so excited to have you. Thank you for coming on. Um, it was such a pleasure to do some research on your work. And um, I have a question that kind of pertains to your bio or one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> bios that I read online. Um, one of the sentences, oh, sorry, we're going to have to edit this. <laughs> I don't know why. We're keeping, it, so... we're keeping it in. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, restarting. One of the bios that I uh, read online has the sentence um, that you're a Brooklyn-based artist and researcher whose practice celebrates dissensus and multivocality. And I was so excited to read that sentence because I think a lot of times artists might use a verb that's like examine or question or explore. And it seems like you very consciously use the word celebrate, which I love because it like really feels like a positive affirmation to your practice. And I'm wondering, um, did you choose that word to set a certain tone for folks approaching your work? Yeah, I think that by celebrating, I was kind of adding a pause to a process instead of an outcome, right? Like really cherishing um, the kinds of conversations that go into a project and produce the final thing, right? That you then see in, in an exhibition or an event or a program. But like, I really, what I really love to do, right? And what I cherish is the, the, the process portion of a project. Mm-hmm. And I also the messiness. Not heard... Sorry. What did you say? The messiness? 
the messiness, the like, I enjoy like, um, now I'm forgetting the exact sentence that you read because I think that's an earlier draft of my bio, but it's, I celebrate multivocality, right? Is that, mm-hmm. that was a sentence? Yeah, dissensus mm-hmm. and multivocality. Right, dissensus and multivocality, which means that because so much of my work is process oriented, um, and I is part is very partnership heavy. I feel like um, that's that's like becomes the meat of the project, right? And I, I like want people to pay attention to that because it it's immaterial, right? So I think um, that's what I was trying to highlight with that sentence. Multivocal, literally, many voices, an approach to archaeological reasoning, explanation, and understanding that accepts a high degree of relativism and thus encourages taken temporaneous articulation of numerous different narratives or parallel discourses. Um, because I think, you know, for listeners and for people who don't have your art right in front of them, um, mm. I was hoping we could like sort of walk through some of what we were just talking about as far as process and practice in just one of your pieces. And I don't even know if you really call it a piece, um, but the IAPO repository. And Mm -hmm. that's something I got to see when I was in New York um, in in a manifestation. But I was wondering if you could maybe landscape for, for us and our listeners, like what that project is, like where it started and how it developed. Um, and how it developed in your head. Yeah, so that project was started by another artist, uh, Ayodomola Okunsende and I. Um, He's a Nigerian-American. I'm, um, my family's from Ethiopia. We both, Ayo and I both went through this program. We did our MFAs um, in design and technology at Parsons. And as we were graduating, we're just kind of having conversations about um, the the access to certain um, resources and technology we had because of the program and also just thinking about the social layers of all of these emerging technologies, um, you know, thinking about uh, the biases and violences of the way technology um, was being uh, developed and deployed. And we're thinking about how to... um, host workshops that um, bring in like a, a, a futurist or speculative lens to thinking about the, the, the about, about technology development. And so we started uh, this project through a residency at, at IBEAM in 2016. So there we were just like prototyping um, workshop structures. We landed on a workshop where um, there's a little bit of scaffolding. We like developed this card game where participants um, are given uh, sets of cards that determine like a, a future world we live in and what the, the problem is they're um, designing for or thinking about. And so, for example, you would get a set of cards or maybe like there's a the narrative card that is says something like utopian, dystopian, apocalyptic, you know, it's, it's painting the picture of a future world and there's a description. And then there's a domain card. So the, like an area in which you're designing for, it could be something like fashion, education, environment, health. Um, and then you're given an object card and this is some physical quality your future um, 
object design should have, right? And so that's something like it's 3D printed, it's spherical, um, it has motors, it lights uh -huh. up. And so um, you come to the EAPO repository as a workshop participant. Uh, we're telling you you're an archivist of this future library space and you're designing um, objects for this future world. And so you get your cards and you draw your idea on a very official artifact or a manuscript document, what we call a manuscript document. Um, and so we take these drawings back to the studio and we fully realize a select few of them. Uh -huh. And we've done this workshop um, in partnership with a bunch of cultural organizations in New York and have, you know, gone around the U.S. a couple times and done it. And we, um, it's continued to grow. At this point, I think we have like 400 artifact ideas. Wow. And we realized um, a good chunk. And so as we show this project, you know, it's like this roving um, institution, you know, we use an institutional fiction of the Yapo repository. It's a, this library space. So it has like the artifacts we produce. It has the original manuscript drawings from all of our workshops. Um, we make films with some of the objects that get projected. We have something called a rare media division where we kind of, we collect all of the the text we're reading in the studio, all the music we were listening to, all of our reference images, uh, and um, the rare media division is like a dead drop library where you bring a USB stick and it, like all this material that we collect just kind of gets dumped on a USB for you to to walk away with. So we're showing you kind of like the back end of what you know is like influencing the project for you to go build the objects yourself to go build the objects yourself or just like further engage with what you see and then what you saw in an exhibition because you know as you all you've seen museum shows that like sometimes the work can feel so static right like exists in this like white cube and you want we just like wanted to give people um a way to like further engage learn more about what we were thinking about while making some of the work, um, what we were looking at. Um, yeah, just kind of to further open the box of EAPO repository. It's a really generous um, offering that you give to viewers. It's, it's almost like a gift in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's, it's we're always trying to think about um, exhibition design, right? Like, even when we show the work, we really don't want things to just like exist on the walls or on pedestals. We're always thinking about how to make this like an active space where you can continue to add to um, the repository. So where it's possible and when we can, we have like workshop tables next to the, next to our installations, mm -hmm. right? So people can continue to um, like draw future artifact ideas. It's just important to us because this project started with thinking about um, thinking about our own personal access to to certain information and also certain tools and just like we want to like leverage that access that we have to make sure that other folks can have the conversations we were having in a, in a program that wasn't really diverse right like we like we found each other and we're so excited to have this conversation and didn't know who to have it with because like we found each other right in the program. That's the Parsons, the Parsons program. Yeah. The Parsons program. And so we were like, we gotta go, we gotta find our people and have this conversation outside of the school. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting then, you know, in looking at our institutions, you had to find your collaborator here within um, Parsons, but also the idea of the gallery space and how there hasn't always been room for everyone equally inside a gallery. And I'm curious what, for someone like you, whose work I never really defined with a gallery or museum space, what does placemaking in your work look like? Yeah, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I wouldn't say my work is about place making because I, I'm never in a place long enough, right, to say that I am, um, am adding in a, in a full way to it. You know. Yeah. Um, so. Place orienting, think, maybe, or place <laughs> understanding. Yeah, maybe place under. I like that place understanding. Um, <laughs> I will, so for us, I think it's also another layer to the work, right? It's like important for us to make unlikely partnerships um, in all the sites in which we work. So like when we were asked to be visiting artist fellows um, in Pittsburgh through VIA and Carnegie Mellon, um, we wanted to set up this um, partnership with August Wilson Center that like, Again, you know, August Wilson Center is a, is, is a legacy Black institution in the city. Carnegie Mellon, we were working with like emerging tech students, robotic students, like hardcore coders, you know, and we wanted to kind of like set up this relationship between these two like large institutions in the city that maybe just aren't interfacing or talking all the time, right? And mm -hmm. we did this through VIA. And um, I guess place understanding was like, well, how did these two places, um, how did these two sites, right, within the city, like how can they start a conversation and like how can they share resources? And it, through that like year long fellowship, um, we were able to like bring some people into the room together that hadn't been um, in conversation before. And now those relationships still exist now that we're gone, you know? That's and awesome. that to me is like, yeah, that's like a layer to the work that is so important. Um, and we're now only beginning to like really unpack that as being like a key tenant to the project. Do you stay in touch with some of the workshop participants? With some folks, yeah. Like the Pittsburgh thing, because it was a year long, was like really like we built deep relationships there. So uh, yeah, we still, I have like, you know, I hit up people, I check in on people's kids, like, yeah, I have good relationships there. Um, but it's hard. And I think, you know, like life gets in the way. And that's why I was when Andy asked earlier, like, is this place making? It's like, well, not for us, because we move around so much. Um, and it's hard to it's hard to stay in touch with everyone. Mm -hmm. Though I see in one interview that you said you negotiated for one acre on the moon for the permanent uh, repository is that is that true is that still in the works <laughs> it was like <laughs> i still don't understand how that deal it was like a deal that was made so quickly and it's like totally speculative and i can't remember um the institution that first reached out to us about this but um they were like we're setting up a museum um or a cultural space a cultural district up on the moon would you want an acre and we were like 
we don't know how this works, but sure, I guess. <laughs> That's great. Well, you'll you'll build it when you're when you can. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm sure I'd have like all sorts of like uh, there are all sorts of like questions I have about setting up on the moon like that if that was even possible. So I'm you know in dressed like yeah sign me up but. I don't know. It sounds like you could build an artifact object to make it happen. <laughs> I just don't want to like art wash the moon, you know? That's true. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah, ready yeah. to be that kind of colonizer. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it could be a moon bounce anyway, and we can keep it on Earth. You can do a moon bounce installation yes. of your exhibits. <laughs> art washing was coined amid the anti-gentrification protests that began two years ago in the Boyle Heights district of Los Angeles. The coming of art galleries claimed the protesters, although of course they had nothing against art per se, forces out local shops and services and drives up property prices. More, that this is a deliberate policy on the part of greedy property companies, whose aim is to art wash an area to prime it for development to a smarter demographic. I, I read online that you correct me if I'm wrong, are teaching a speculative design course at Parsons with American artists now. Is that right? I, um, I teach the speculative, I've taught the speculative design class um, with IO in the past, but American and I teach a class in the fall semester. So we're gearing up actually tomorrow is our first class um, this semester. Uh, but we teach a class called Major Studio One, and it's a class where all the incoming first year MFA students in the design and technology program um, have an opportunity to kind of explore their personal practice um, in values and ethics and making. So uh, they can make whatever they want. And what we kind of push them to think about is um, why and how they're making and audience and place. Mm. So we kind of push those, push on those edges of the project and just get them to think about, um, it's a very, again, <laughs> like my practice, it's a very process oriented class. It's like, um, we get them to ask questions early on. I think, you know, a lot of times when you're excited about like a tool, right? Like you, you're like, you already know like, oh my God, yes, I'm gonna make this like, use HoloLens, I'm gonna make this like awesome AR project. And it's like, well, what is the story <laughs> that you're mm -hmm. telling and who are you trying to reach and like where is the AR project going to take place and like where can you download it and where's information like we just ask all the annoying questions where the student is maybe just like so excited to play with the tool we're like back up back up back up you know um you spoke about how um when thinking about speculative design you're trying to orient um yourself and uh the folks that you're working with towards like rather than thinking of reacting to something that you are not agreeing with, like more pushing towards things that you want and desire and like. And it, it brings me back to like using the word celebrate, like in one of your previous um, written bios, like just this idea of um, positivity and responding to like what kind of gets you excited and brings you life and then how do you bring that to other people mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's from, um, the, it's from Dunn and Ravy's uh, book, Speculative Everything. And the book starts by talking about how a younger generation um, doesn't dream, it hopes. And I mean, in 2020, especially really, right, like I, that resonates so, so deeply that um, we're just like hoping that things will kind of, are, will work out, you know, like, um, just waiting. And I just love the idea of spec, a spec, bringing a speculative lens to something means that we're trying to um, employ our imagination to bring us somewhere else, right? Like we're no longer going to sit in a, uh, a, a reactionary space, right? Of like, just trying to hold the line. Um, mm -hmm. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna imagine the world we want to live in and like fully push forward in that, in that goal, um, which is, you know, I was, can't remember where I read this, but I read somewhere once that, um, that is like what makes, what has made right in the last four years, like conservatives um, so successful, the Republican party so successful is that they have um, a really, uh, the, the imagination runs so deep. <laughs> Mm -hmm. They like know mm -hmm. the world they want to live in and are just mm -hmm. marching forward in that vision. And it's like, how do we, how do we do the same? Well, I would say it's easy yeah, for them. You... It's easy for them to imagine the future they want because it's really, you know, a hundred years ago. So like, <laughs> yeah. we, we had it back then. Let's just march right back there. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. <laughs> I love that just visually. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, well, yeah, it's interesting, this idea of speculative practice, because, you know, in, in hoping or dreaming towards something better, something, um, yeah, something better, it almost sounds is like the perfect distillation of art practice at all, just, you know, the commitment to believing in something, um, and not, can't be positive what's out there, but just pushing forward. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's very hopeful idea mm -hmm. and i say it like also knowing like with the caveat that um one of our workshop participants told this a told us this a couple years ago that like imagination um is also a privilege right like having the the like space to be able to think um into the future is like th that having that space is a privilege and you know there are many folks who like need to focus on the here and now and I, I like totally understand that so how do we get how like what is that process for um how do we make that more in it, 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 I don't want to say inclusive but like how do you get how do you allow for more space for people to like be able to do this kind of work when like it's so hard to it's so hard for so many people to like I'm losing what I want to say, but it's just, it's like. Mm. I mean, it, it makes me think of the, have you guys seen Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that pyramid that shows like, you know, your basic needs are like food and water, security mm. and safety. And then like towards the middle, there are other needs like 
feelings of accomplishment, intimate relationships and friends. And then at the very tip of the pyramid, like once you have all of the psychological needs and your basic needs, that's when you can like finally have your self-fulfillment needs kind of like explored and met where mm-hmm. um, you can achieve your potential. And it makes me think of what you're saying, Salome, like then you can also visualize like what it is that you want in your life. And mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's an interesting model. I don't know that I like agree with it necessarily. It makes me feel very like sad if this is true, this model, because it's, it's basically saying like, there's such a small percentage of society that could achieve this like self-actualization. So, so I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that it's true. It, it feels like, you know, there, there are still folks who like may not have their basic needs met, but like have, amazing imaginations and like find ways to kind of um pursue self-fulfillment but um I think you're right it's it's how do how do you set people up to dream and become self-actualized if if they are worried about these other concerns Mm -hmm. it reminds me of oh sorry just to I, you know and I agree with you bro that that like diagram maybe like needs some reshifting and I think there's also this other point that I'd love to be able to reach with people is like beyond self-fulfillment like what does collective fulfillment look like what does it look like when we're all healthy and happy right and like where does that sit in the diagram mm-hmm. it I it for me it reminds me and points back to that sentence we you had in in your bio and I, I'm interested if you'd ever put it back in there, but the artist whose practice celebrates dissensus and multivocality because right away you're centering your own practice and the lifting up of other voices. Um, so, you know, a theme I see recurrent through your work is the idea that the, the practice is conversation and bringing more people into the conversation and valuing them at an equal level. Um, yeah, so I, I'm curious how that sits with you and, and what conversation looks like. Uh, I used that sort of framing sentence before. I don't know even what it means. <laughs> what, are, what are your opinions about conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know, my favorite part of a project is doing kind of like all the like... Uh, really unsexy logistical stuff of like determining Hmm. like what structures we're going to use to um be able to like make decisions um keep information like you know i like asking the hard questions at the beginning that way like we when we do hit a bump down the road which we will just because that's how projects go and many people are working on them like we have a process um to kind of, to, to, to work through, right? And so um, early on, I like discussing like how, when in making decisions, um, are we gonna use a, a practice of voting? Are we gonna work towards consensus or, you know, and, and none of this has to be fixed, but it's like a good way to know um, how people like to work early on in, in, in the process. And then um, also I like to set up projects in a way that like if I was, to walk away tomorrow like i'm not as i i'm not like at the center of the project and that like i don't hold all of the information right so like what are the kind of cooperative systems we can set up 
uh, to make sure that everyone has access to all the information. So, you know, is that like, I don't know, is it a Slack? Is it a Google Drive folder? Is it a, you know, like, again, like super unsexy, but like important things that like can actually bubble up into bigger things, right? If they're not taken care of and talked about transparently at, at, at the outset. Um, so that's all, yeah, those are the, the, the things I love um, that are part of conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because like all of those things can fit into anyone's life, artists or not. Like I do very similar things in, you know, the nonprofit space in which I work. Um, it's just, you know, when, you're, when your work is so rooted in collaboration, there's the need to build those, you know, starting with the infrastructure uh, mm -hmm. is going to be your success later on, especially if, if a goal is like sustainability or for something to live, live on, live outside of uh, the limitations of a gallery space. Mm -hmm. It also makes me think about um, your interest in archive and like if you have a Google Drive, if you have photos that you've saved, if you have minutes from a meeting, like you're building this really important archive for the project that may not ever see the light of day, but it's still important research that you have um, saved for, you know, posterity or reference later on. Mm -hmm. It all, you know, all of this is about kind of creating in an internal protocol and protocol, you know, we know this from um, like from indigenous culture, right? That like protocol helps us honor each other and the work that we're doing. And so um, might sound, you know, like it's just a formality, right? Or um, a thing we have to do, or we're checking off boxes, but like really when we, when we go, when we develop a protocol and follow a protocol collectively, it means that we are, uh, we're, we're bringing love into the work that we're doing together. We're bringing trust, right? We're bringing commitment to the work we're doing together. And that's, it's important to me to, to do all of those things. So the, for me, like I, one thing I pull consistent through your work is conversation. And, you know, we've talked about speculative design, um, teaching a lot of different things you touch on in your work. Is there one like through line you could pull out that connects all of your different projects? Mm -hmm. It doesn't um, have to be one, but maybe, cause it seems like there's a lot, but maybe, maybe one thing we haven't touched on that you want to call out. I think that it, a lot of my work, I'm, I'm, you know, beyond EOPA repository, like very interested in um, cultural production, cultural products and how to preserve them um and highlight them and um again to celebrate right like the people who who who've who've made them you know specifically celebrating blackness like that's like i feel like the yeah. through line in all my projects is like celebrating our stories and finding um ways to amplify through a digital means or tech means Thank you.
brings us to, uh, you know, the the other part of the show is brainstorming um, an idea for a new podcast. But to start, we should say that you've worked a lot in radio. You used to have your own radio show. You, in fact, have a DJ name. Do you want to reintroduce yourself? Whoa, throwback. DJ Convex. <laughs> DJ Convex, yes. I, I didn't introduce mine at the top. I am DJ Augustus Trustus. Yeah. <laughs> um, My DJ name is TBD, but it's it's coming. I've, it's it's going to come. <laughs> it'll, it'll find you. Um, to be honest, DJ TBD is pretty amazing. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> We're all in a state of becoming. I, I like girl. it. Yeah, that's true. So so maybe ahead of, you know, jumping into what could be a new idea, you want to share anything about how radio has fit into your work and where maybe sound falls into your work? Because I I know it's in a lot of a lot of your um, a lot of what I've seen. Yeah, I've done a couple radio projects. I did one in partnership with um, Houston based artist collective. Otabanga Jones and Associates and um, I helped them outfit this like beautiful um, pink catalog with a web radio server and um, we hosted shows in Third Ward Houston and, and in Bed-Stuy. And did, did you see when the catalog I did. was in Bed-Stuy? Yeah. I did, yeah. Um, and there we were like hosting um, uh, local community groups, local musicians and um, just like doing public radio on the street. It was awesome. Um, it was so cool. I missed that Cadillac. Uh, and <laughs> Where then is it? I think it's like in storage in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, hopefully it's there for you. <laughs> yeah. And then um and then Andy and I, we both had uh late night shows on Bel Air Radio. I know. And As I said at the top, I was a guest on your show. Yeah. That's which great. led to me getting my show. I miss the Bel Air studio. I know, it was uh, so sick. Yeah. Um, and that show was called Hyperopia, and I did that with my friends uh, Carl Chen and Lila Tamari and Derek Schultz. Hyperopia, also known as farsightedness, is a refraction error that causes visual defects. In hyperopia cases, the light rays that enter the eye get focused behind the retina and therefore distant objects appear clearer and objects close by remain we would bring in the format of the show i really loved it was like we'd bring in someone to talk about the near future of whatever field they worked in and then we'd end the set with like a 15 minute dj uh, mix inspired by the conversation that's pretty awesome yeah mine was food uh uh yeah a future of food so fun. Um, yeah, so we didn't ask you to prep anything, but you know, maybe like what are what sort of questions in your work and your life are running through your head now that could point to a new idea for a podcast? Like what what's been going on in your head? Mm. Well, I've been thinking about um, like language and translation and um, how to make information consumable 
and uh, was thinking about, you know, I one time was asked by this artist, uh, Shawnee Peters, based in New York, social practice artist, to, um, she challenged a group of artists to submit to an open call by describing their work or, you know, proposed project. And then writing, there was a second field where she asked artists to again describe their work, but as if they were talking to their grandmother. Hmm. And I just loved the second prompting of, uh, okay, now say it again, but say it without all of the, the art speak, right? Or that kind yeah. of language, you know, just like, just like, <laughs> In an, in an accessible way, tell me what you're trying to do. Um, and an idea for a po podcast, I don't know exactly what we would talk about, but like, I love that as a framing for how to, ha how to host a podcast, you know? How would you talk about your work? I, I yeah, I love that question too, because I'm like, how, Salome, would you talk about your work to your grandma <laughs> or to anyone's yeah. grandma? Go. Yeah, I, that's, <laughs> yeah, I guess I would say, like, I get some people in a room. <laughs> we... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like really looking at my grand grandmother. I'm like, um, yeah, I would say that, like, we get some people in a room and um, we talk about uh, the future. We talk about the places we live and um, we talk about what we want to be better and we build and design and draw um, objects that we think uh, can make bring us closer to the world we want to live in um, I think yeah I think she yeah I think that's good it sounds like what a politician should be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. And who would you want to speak with on the po on this podcast? Mm. Like I, I, I read that you're a, a fellow at the Ford Foundation, um, which I I find interesting because it's a position where you're not talking to artists a lot of the day. Mm -hmm. And so you know, as an artist, like, do you think you'd be interested in having folks on that, like, work in all different fields, similar to your previous podcast? Um, would it be kind of more arts focused in particular? I think I'd like, if I was to host a podcast now, like, I think I, I wouldn't want it to touch the arts. I don't think I'd want it to touch technology at all. Like, I would want it to be so far removed from the things I have to, like, pour in 40 plus hours a week into hmm. you know like and I think like I think I would like want to host a podcast with like like community elders like hmm. and just like get their beat on like what's happening um at like a hyper local level of like the block but also like scaled out to what's happening in the world you know and I'm saying that this probably because like I'm thinking of again like language and access and how we consume information but also thinking about this podcast idea with knowing that I was I was I went through a poll worker training this week mm -hmm. um Andy I think I text, texted yeah. you from there um but just like knowing who typically does that work who shows up rigorously to vote you know every election it's elders um, mm -hmm. 
And so um, just thinking of them as, as housing. So like, of course, people who have been here like the longest on earth, like have like a wealth of information to share with us. But I'm just thinking like about the like political lens um, they can they can bring to a conversation just as like dutiful civic actors, right? Like the entire poll training, we were told like your seniors are going to come in and ask these kinds of questions, these kind of qu- kind of mm-hmm. questions. They're gonna they know where to vote. They show up, you know. And if you and if you don't, I remember during our training at one point, someone was like, um, one of our trainers was like, yeah, and if you know, and if you mess up with the senior, be careful because they do call their representatives. So um, they got those numbers <laughs> <dial>, So, <laughs> and I was like, I hadn't, you know, wasn't thinking about that. I'd love to get, um, would love to talk to, yeah, the people who are most civically engaged on my block, you know, like my block association director, community board leaders, poll workers, we're all seniors. Nice. So we've gone from explaining to our elders to learning from or talking with. Mm -hmm. Um, something, Something you said at the beginning, I just want to touch on quickly because, you know, you live so much of your life as an artist professionally and you said you want this space to be separate from that to a degree. I'm curious about like, would this feel more playful? Is there a, what kind of labor is present in your artistic practice, which is very political really. Um, and, and it seems really emotional. So I'm, I'm curious, I guess, just sort of those two things. Like, do you feel, do you feel the sense of labor in artistic practice? And then two with this new podcast, like is the is an I would is there something you would hope to be separate from that labor or I don't know the right way to phrase that. Um Yeah, you know, like a lot of the the work I do, even with the Apple repository, right? Like I'm thinking about how to even like sunset that project because going in and out and make uh, of like different places and making all these like partnerships, it's absolutely taxing when you like get so deep with people and then like a project that like that bit of the project closes and then you're on to the next site or next you know yeah iteration of the project it just becomes like um I like easily I like emotionally tethered to people and so like having to make those constant shifts is just like it's hard on me personally so for that reason um which I think of like, you know, that is a type of labor, it's emotional labor. And so would want to sunset that project for that reason and think about like how to close it out with like a book and like really leave people with like a model for what we created, right? And like a a roadmap. Um, And for this podcast, like, you know, I think I would want it to be really playful, but, I'm also trying to get like the neighborhood gossip, you know, I'm trying to like, I want it to be, I just want it to be real and raw. Just like, what are you thinking neighbor? So do you see yourself as the host who would have your neighbor on and you would interview them, have a conversation with them? Um, Cause I, I, I asked because I think in some previous projects of yours, you kind of like set up the technology and the frame and like let, other folks 
record their own recording, but it kind of sounds like you would be like, we'd hear a lot of your voice in this podcast. Yeah. Maybe I would do some like initial framing. I would definitely, Mm -hmm. you would definitely hear my voice. I, I would like, maybe it's like a man on the street type structure where like, I'm like walking to their house and I'm setting it up. Right. And I'm like, this is who we're going to talk to today. And And this is what we're going to talk about. You get the background noise. You get the background noise. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. And then like, you know, and then we have like a stoop conversation. I get there and I'm like, knock, knock, knock. (laughs) I mean, honestly, this just sounds like your regular life that you're just starting to record. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Well, thinking about the, I was thinking the neighborhood, right? Like for your podcast, Solome, would, would it be like just the block that you live on? Would it be like a couple of blocks around the perimeter of near where you live? Like, I guess how, what would define like the neighborhood? Maybe it's like, well, so I've lived in Bed-Stuy now for, I think 11 years now. And so maybe it's like all the blocks I've lived on. I've lived on four different blocks in Bed-Stuy. So maybe it's like I go to all the blocks and it's maybe the podcast is called like baddies on the block. And it's like all the elders that I <laughs> and I'm like catching up with them about like the block, but then also um, just like state of the world. Like, what do you think? And I like the idea of starting super local and then scaling out. So, you know, Beryl and I are new in this podcast and you're our, our third guest and we're really having fun like brainstorming. And it seems like that's something you did in the Iapo repository was you got people thinking creatively. Like what que- what questions would you ask yourself um, to get your like brain stirring? Um, and, and or also like what questions in this like start where you're just um, ideating and thinking of ideas. If you were a student in your in the class you were discussing earlier, what questions would you ask of yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would. I I'm already thinking about like distribution, right? Like if I'm working with um, with older people in my neighborhood, just like one of the first questions I would ask before. Um, inviting any anyone to participate is like do you listen to podcasts and, and where do you do you access them um and then like thinking about that that kind of distribution and like how does that then like if i was to backpedal like okay how does that influence how i produce um and you know because so you would sense. want because you'd want the listeners or the people you interview to have equal access to Right. Yeah. 100. Well, yeah. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And so let's say, yeah. let's say the elders you're speaking with don't listen to podcasts in any sort of formal way. Would that, how does that transform you still wanting to engage with this idea? Well, I guess it, and then the follow up question is like, if you don't listen to podcasts, um, here are a couple, I would probably give them a couple of my favorite podcasts or things that I've been listening to recently um and tell them how I access them and and then ask them like is this something you'd be interested in producing together um and like if so um 
like we should talk about like credit rights, right? Like how, like maybe they should be more than a guest and come on in a different way. Um, so that's not just my podcast, maybe. I'd want them to feel like if someone hasn't listened to a podcast before and then all, all of a sudden is asked to be on a podcast, I'd want them to have some kind of ownership over the process so they feel like I don't just I wouldn't want it to be like extractive, you know? Like I'd want them to feel like, okay, this is something we're making together. And um that way that they'll be more invested in like uh how it grows, right? And who it reaches and then they'll also tell their friends to listen because they were on a podcast and they also helped make it, right? And so that like then the audience grows in a completely different way. Which is interesting because if I, when, when you were first describing the podcast, I guess because of how I was in a podcast, like on the podcast app, um, that's how like I personally access podcasts. I envisioned like some of your audience being like folks that are our age, but you're right. Like if you have, um, these baddies on the block, like, uh, collaborating with you as hosts and, um, as makers of what you want it to be, then, um, how do you extend it to their networks and how do you I mean, they're going to want, they're going to want the dish just the same, you know, they're going to want that you gossip. Know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would love if it's like, you know, maybe some episodes it's like, I'm the person walking to, oh wait, hold up. Okay. So what if like I kick off this, this show and I'm like walking to one person, right? And, like, oh, it's like telephone. Exactly. And so the next episode, they're the host and they're walking to somebody else and they have their show and then it continues that way. Oh, I see. Oh, I, I, I was thinking you were getting the neighborhood gossip and someone said something about someone else. So then, um, and then you went to them next. No, no. <laughs> that would, That's a different be, kind of beat. Yeah, that'd be dirty. <laughs> Sorry, Alma. That's a completely different kind of beat. I yeah. think I would, um, <laughs> that's like a whole new career path. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the, I'm like the hypo, hyper local, like social practice version of like Wendy Williams or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I am so excited. New studio, new neighborhood, fourth season. I've got my wig cam. Well, come on, let's go ask the new neighbors. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like, I just continue to pass the mic, like a different kind of telephone. That's awesome. So then you just start it, but then it then it has a life of its own. Yeah. Well, I'll still be around to like, you know, help people technically on the side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So facilitate the transfer. Mm -hmm. That's good. Do you think, would you frame each episode like in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I would like, you know, maybe there's like a two sentence, three sentence, like framer at the beginning. That's kind of like, this is the structure of the show. This is what's happening. This is what happened last episode. Um, and this is where we're going next. 
so you understand like why the person has a mic at like whoever has a mic at that moment Mm -hmm. what's what's interesting to me and just like coming back how this connects with your practice is we just got to that idea from you from like starting with the the questions of access so Mm -hmm. what do they listen to podcasts how how do you get them to engage as an equal partner and then you just made them the equal partner so by virtue of being on the podcast and then being the next host they have you they they have that agency Mm -hmm. um i love this idea and it really is like baddies on the block like people are walking around they're getting around brooklyn i love this great um me too it's also it's it's inspiring because like it it makes people know their neighbors better hopefully mm-hmm. and can encourage community outside of a podcast like if they're like if someone's listening to the podcast and happens to live next door to one of the hosts like maybe they didn't know that person before and that encourages them to like knock on their door and like you know see if they want to have coffee or something I like that would be such a beautiful outcome of a project like that um well, I got to I got to get started on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Well, I, I think that I think that was a, a solid get to. <laughs> Thank Definitely. you so much, y'all. This was like I got a new podcast idea out of this. You asked some beautiful questions. I'm thinking my, about my practice in new ways. Um, this was so fun. Thank you. We forgot to ask what podcast you listen to. Or what um, are you listening to? I'm such a huge fan of Still Processing on New York Times. Do you listen to that podcast? No. Don't tell us it's about interviews about artistic practice, though. No, no, no. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's like a, it's a current events. Um, it's a, a current events podcast where they talk about... Um, it's just different things happening in the world. And it, it's, it hasn't, there hasn't been an episode since June, which has like made me so sad, but it's um, Jenna Wortham, the hosts are Jenna Wortham and what's Wesley's last name? Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham host the podcast. I'll check it out. Still processing. You heard it here, listeners. We just have, and I'll let you ask, Beryl, we have our, our one consistent <laughs> <laughs> final question for everybody. Okay. <laughs> Which is, what is your favorite cliche? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is going to be maybe like very specific to um, my, my like area of work. But um, maybe you've seen like the memes about this, but like saying that you work at the intersection of art and technology. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 I've been on like a couple of like (laughs) residency juries this year that where I've had to read this phrase a lot. so it is my favorite cliche. Now, now I'm trying. Now I'm trying to visualize the like what that street intersection would look like. Oh my god! 
it's it's hectic bro find a new way find a new path um uh although i did go out of order because we should ask you do you have anything you want to plug are you working on anything where can we where can people find you online Mm -hmm. i'm um let's see where can you find me online my website is salome.zone I'm on Instagram as computers underscore pewing. Shout out Cameron. Let's <laughs> go. I get to boost this boost and I get computers pewing. I get computers pewing. I get computers pewing. I'm. Uh, I was listening to Cameron on? today. <laughs> yeah. I like that is the email I need to send in 2020. I just like need to connect with him. <laughs> I think I think he's available honestly <laughs> I think so too sometimes I'm just like on his Instagram I'm like maybe it doesn't need to be an email it could just be a DM like yeah exactly what's, what's good <laughs> um so yeah that's what I'm working on in 2020 is that building that friendship <laughs> okay all right I, th- I guess we can leave it there <laughs> I can't wait to hear more in 2021 <laughs> Yeah, maybe he'll he'll be um, on your podcast, interviewing. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, Salome. Um, it was great talking. I am sure to call you outside of this. Um, please say hi to your parents. For I me. will. I will. They were excited I was doing this.